to see you. Um, really glad that you are, are here. Hasn't it been, hasn't it been great um, this morning? Um, Johnny, Robbie, thank you for just hosting um, God's presence for us so well. It's been, it's been lovely um, and really powerful. Um, so this morning we're, we're going to be unpacking a little bit more of the journey. Um, we've been talking about Generation Next and we have been talking about the crossing over moments and how God calls us to that. And um, part of what Dave has been chatting on, on over the last couple of weeks has been about how we, how we cross over. And as we thought about that, we were reflecting on the story and the journey of Emmanuel Church, which is also very much tied up within um, Pastor Phil's um, journey as well. And recognizing that there's lots of new people even around us that maybe don't know. You've, you've come into the mix of this. You, you like it. You like being about. Um, you like the teaching. You like the worship. But you don't know maybe the journey or the trek. And you keep getting little snippets of reference points of, of you're like, oh, I, I wonder what that was about. Um, and this is a little moment where we're trying to frame some of those key stages of, of going through. Let me, let me read a couple of verses to you. This is um, Joshua chapter 4. Um, you know that we're working our way through um, some of the chapters of Joshua. Um, and Joshua 4 verses 20 to 22 says this. Um, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And this morning, the, the significance of what is going on is, is part of our, our journey as a church and those moments when God has called us to take steps of faith and where he has stepped in and we've, we've crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And it's really important that we don't forget those. Um, not out of sentimental value, but out of building faith and stirring faith of who our God is and, and what he wants to do with us in this present moment and as we look towards the future. So I don't know about you, but I am very excited about this. Mm. I've been excited about this all week um, of unpacking all of the, the great stuff that is within Pastor Phil's head. Um, so, Phil, we're going to get started. Okay. Is that okay? So, I was just a wee young fella whenever all of this was kicking off. Um, I, was a, I was still an Elam boy at that stage. So, it is learning Elam until my wife Ruth worked her master plan and somehow we found herself here. But sitting around, even at that stage, through friendship with um, Alan Emerson, um, who's leading and poured it down, sitting around your table, eating toast in bountiful supply, um, while lots of stuff was just stirring and journey. What, what has been the journey of how this all started, and even for us, some of the, the journey of, of location that has happened as we've moved around and the church has started? Okay, um, Amy and Debbie's here, and we're just um, thinking, you mentioned toast, and Boys, you could eat toast. I remember toasting four loaves one Sunday night. Four loaves, they were, it, was like, it was like snow off a ditch. Um, but there you go, uh, it was great. And, and, and basically, that's where it was born, around, around the kitchen table, um, telling stories. Um, I, I was thinking about it early this morning, and it, it's easy to... It's easy to glam the story up a little bit, but it, it came at a really, really hard time in our lives. Jill was alive at the time, and uh, um, 
we were going through a really, really difficult patch. I was, I was self-employed. I owned a, 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 I was a lorry driver for many years and uh, had my own little haulage company. I think I had eight lorries at one time. And uh, back in 1989, the recession, some of you who are my age remember, they're talking about interest rates at the minute, but we remember um, 15, 16% interest rates, and it was brutal. And um, one of my creditors um, took me for 160,000, about 89, and I tried to work my way out of that hole for about two years, but in 91, the bank closed. And so we were, I was a sole trader, wasn't a limited company. So we were literally on the street and we owed almost 400,000 pounds, sole trader. So that was, a, that was 91. Didn't go into bankruptcy, tried to work um, with an arrangement with our creditors, which we did. They reckoned it would take three years, it took 13. And um, it was a very, very difficult time. And then in 95, um, 95, just a year before the church started, we lost our home in a house fire and a fire. So um, it was, and it was in that um, time that I took a job, uh, I took a job with Kaywoods, carrying coal in Craig Evan. And, um, and it was really interesting, the wee coal run I took over was 500 ton a year. And I built that up to 1,500, put 1,000 ton on it. Um, and that's all carried off your back. <laughs> and, uh, and chugging through the streets of Craig Avon in the winter, um, I got held up at gunpoint. I got hit with a baseball, but it was great fun. Um, <laughs> had to wrestle that money bag more times out of the hands of people who wanted it. So I learned how to fight, and I learned how to love. And I learned how to love the people who were desperate, so desperate that they wanted to rob you. Because some of them were just robbing you out of dire need. And it broke me a little bit, I have to say. And, and in that period of time, I actually felt God had forsaken me. Felt that dream that, or that encounter that I had with God at the bridge when I was 11, feeling this call in my life. And here I was now in my late 30s and feeling like God had almost forsaken me. And um, it was in the midst of all that uh, that we come up with this brainwave. <laughs> Why don't we meet in the house? But before you start then to tell us a little bit of the journey of, of, of the church moving around, like I think there's a couple of things to really note in that, that God called you at a really unconvenient time and a really mm. unlikely time, yeah. that it wasn't when everything was sitting perfect and ready, that then God said, oh right, okay, let, let's put a call on, on Phil's life, but it was actually in the space of brokenness yeah. that actually the call and the burden for the people that you were going to serve was really being forged and, yeah. and happening, which sometimes we, we think, we rule ourselves out because of some of the external circumstances that That's are, right. so are going on. So, so tell us then, what happened next, Phil? What was the Well, we, the we, we started in the house. It was, it was so many circumstances that are probably even difficult to talk about. And around that time, um, that led us, that we felt there was no other thing to do other than just meet in the house. We'd no really, like, I don't remember ever God saying, I want you to build a church or anything like that. We just... It seemed convenient at the time to meet in the house and 
people started to come. And um, we then, after a couple of months, we thought maybe there's momentum here. There's maybe 30 people gathering. We could uh, we should look premises. Um, Lisa and Amy and Debbie were all in their teens at that time. Philly was about nine, ten. So I got a young family, and we had this like 30, 40 people in your home every, basically every Sunday, we'd Tuesday night, we'd Thursday night. So we started to have to make rules that, so we, because we were trying to protect our family as well. So we said upstairs was out of bounds for, it was, it was family. So the, the, the girls were happy with this, that uh, upstairs was their domain and uh, downstairs was a bit local church at that time. And, um, we started to look for premises, but one door after another closed. And uh, we ended up in the house a year and a half. And um, we had about 40 people by that stage, and they were literally sitting on top of each other. But, um, and then we moved. Uh, Debbie had been away at, a, at, a, at some camp or something, if I remember right, and she'd come home on a, a Saturday night late, and she was hungry looking at Chinese. Jill went down to the little Chinese in... Um, Warringstown to get her a Chinese and Phyllis Arnold was there some of you will know Phyllis in Hartford they've been through horrendous brokenness like they've buried through three of their four sons so they know heartache and no grief and loss and um, I, I knew Jill and I both knew Phyllis Hartford was in my class in school and um, so we knew each other for many years and Phyllis said said to Jill, Jill, you're not going to believe this, but she says, I've been having these dreams that you are holding your wee church in our jelly house. <laughs> now, for those of you who know Phyllis... He did Phyllis, say jelly house. Jelly That's house. what he said, jelly yeah, house. Jelly house. Yeah. So what had happened was Phyllis and Hertford had a business. They, they owned Cottage Catering, which is a flourishing business. Now, back then, it was just a little house at the back of their bungalow, that they'd converted half their garage into making these little trifles and jellies. They called it the jelly house. They'd bought a factory at this stage, and so the jelly house was laying dormant on a chicken farm, and they, she said, we would love you to come and um, meet in our little house. And so, of course, Jill came home. Jill being Jill was a visionary, and like this is 10 o'clock at night, and she literally wanted me to go to see the jelly house at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. And Amy will know what that's like, and Debbie. And um, they, we, we, I, I did get her put off, but we arrived around on Sunday afternoon. Of course, Phyllis and Hertford seen us, brought us into the house, the deal was done. And it was kind of weird. It was up a lane, about a mile long, and we thought, is, nobody's ever going to come here. It's just a bit wacky, but it was that sort of daft that sort of seemed to be God. So we ended up there for three years and we had some amazing times there, pretty incredible. Brilliant. And then from, where, where did we move from, from the jelly house? Yeah. You know, at what stage, what was the movement then to obviously to where we are today? Well, it's, kind, it's kind of funny because um, prior, just prior to moving out to the jelly house, Jill and I had taken three days in Donegal. We'd went to um, Cheryl and Liz McElhenney's house on Island Roy uh, for three days just to pray and fast. And on the, literally about an hour before we were leaving on the third day, you know, if you fast three days, God always waits to speak on the third day, doesn't he? Like, <laughs> don't do 40, whatever you do. Um, but uh, on the, 
just about an hour before we come home, God, give me the word out of um, Deuteronomy 2 about, you know, you'd gone around this mountain long enough, now it's time to go north. Our house faced east. So north was Lurgan, and we'd always felt our call was to Lurgan. So we'd taken that, I'd taken that as a call to build in Lurgan, but um, Donna Cloney was south. And um, we were saying, God, but you've called us this way, but now you're leading us this way. And that was a profound thing. And we did it with a bit of fear and trepidation. And about four weeks after we'd moved into the Jelly House, we were, Jill and I were in a meeting in Cecil Stewart's in Carrickfergus. And we were sitting right in the back row, inconspicuous in the back row. And this lady who was Rosemary McCauley, I didn't know Rosemary and Robert at the time, but Rosemary, I'd never met her before in my life. And uh, Rosemary was speaking, and in the middle of speaking, she just stopped and she just goes, God just given me a word for someone here. And then she looks all down the room and she goes right to the back row and she says, that couple in the back, would you stand? And you know what you do, you're looking to see, is it me, is it somebody else? And we stood and um, she says, I see Moses written all over your lives. Now, if you've been about here long enough, you know me and Moses are pretty good buddies. And... Um, uh, so she got my attention right away. And then she said this. She says, uh, you know the bit where Moses got hid in the bulrushes? Like, how do you hide a baby for three months? And she says, I think God has taken you a different direction to hide you in the bulrushes. And he says, he's hiding you, not so you won't build width immediately, but you'll build depth and you'll put down roots. And that's exactly what happened three years we moved from about 40 people to about 90 people. And um, the little jelly house was, we had one toilet, one little room. And a funny story, please forgive me for this, but the toilet had a paper thin wall. And if anybody I'm went- I'm really to, worried of what's coming next. If anybody, if anybody went to the toilet during a really silent worship song, it was like, I was looking at the worship leader going, lift it a little bit, <laughs> lift it a little bit, please. So, um, but it was loads of fun, and uh, we had some. We actually celebrated the millennium out there. Oh, uh, let fireworks off in the field opposite. So, yeah. Um, and and then the move from there went to Union Street. Put your hand up if you were about Union Street there. Sort of wave around at us. Yeah. So this oh, is Union on. Street people. Um, the, the switch over to to there, Phil, and then. Yeah, we moved to Union Street in two thousand and one, uh, and it was a it was a great move. We, we actually had a Christmas morning service in there with the rent heaters, or hire heaters for, because it wasn't just ready. I think we moved in about the 21st of February 2001. And what basically happened, you know, we, we'd always felt this little thing, you know, called to be a, a family, an army, and a hospital. You know, so we were called to be a family first, first and foremost. And that's still uh, our heart. And then we were called to be an army, a family on mission, and then a hospital where people could get cared for and loved. And, and, and so, and it felt like the family and hospital were the house and, um, and, and the, the jelly house. And then when we got to Union Street, it was just, we did a door-to-door -door survey. Paul Dixon helped us to put a little survey together and he worked at that. So he did a brilliant job. And uh, it was like about five questions, you know, do you go to church? You know, what sort of church would you go to? What time would be the best time to go? And it was just to introduce ourselves to the people in the community. And basically, 
what happened, we moved there in February, and by Christmas, we doubled the numbers. We had over 200 people, all through Salvation. So basically, we did a morning, we did a, I think it was a 11, 11 a.m. service and a 6.30, and it, there was a period of time from about February to Christmas, I don't remember one service where a person didn't get saved. It was every time we put that shutter up, there was a, um, it was like people just were getting saved all the time. And it was just an influx of souls. And we began to realize we were only 10 months in the building. We'd give, um, we'd paid 160000 for the building. Um, we bought it off Wilson's factory shop. And uh, within 10 months, we realized we'd outgrown it. And we were, we either could stay or be in trouble. Or, but we knew we were going to have to shift again, you know. And then we're here? Yeah, and we're here. This was um, on the market for a long, long time. This was the old Wellworth building then, taken over by SuperValue, and it had been laying dormant for years. And uh, talking about the tea and toast, what happened? Wilson and Kate, um, who Wilson's one of her elders, Wilson's been about to adopt too, and Wilson and Kate had come back to our house for tea and toast, and all the young ones were in one room, and we were in another room. And of course, when Wilson and Jill got together, there were a strange cocktail. Them they're both dreamers, visionary, you know, like, it was like, um, and it was like, I'm, I'm phlegmatic, so the weakness of a phlegmatic is you don't do today what you can put off till tomorrow, you know. So um, Jill was sanguine, so she exploded in a room. She filled the room, and so she... Um, it was like, like 10 o'clock on Sunday night and she was looking at me to ring the estate agent there and then. And I said, honey, I do think they're probably closed on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock. Um, uh, but of course, Monday morning, this building, it was back in the days of dial-up Wi-Fi and they dialed up and looked at this on Sunday night and Wilson and we were all sitting chatting about this. And I said, okay, look, I'll phone in Monday morning and see what the deal is with it. And I phoned Listen, he's a state agent. I still remember the name of the guy, David McNellis, it's etched in my mind. And I said to him, the building in Lurgan, Castle and for sale, can you tell me how much is on it? He says, 1.2 million. Now that's like 1.2 million is neither here nor there when you don't have anything, you know. So, um, so uh, I said to, so Jill's sitting at the other side of the table and Jill's going, put a bit on, put a bit. You know that bit where your wife, you know that Tony, you know, telling you what to do. And um, I feel like I hear you talk to him, but um, put a bit on, put a bit on. And I, I'm thinking, well, how much would I put on, how much would I put on? And she goes, half a million. And I'm thinking, they're looking 1.2 and you're telling me to bid half a million. So I, I said, look, w w would it be offensive if I bid half a million on it? And the guy says, no, no offense at all. I'll just put your bid to super value and see what they say. And he rang me within two hours to say that super value had accepted the bid. And my response wasn't the holiest. <laughs> mm. It wasn't the holiest, I have to admit. I couldn't believe it. I thought, what do we do now? Uh, so it was, yeah. So, but we're here. We're here. So, there's, so like, the, the reality is that there's, there's all of this faith, there's all this visionary. Um, we're hearing of, of, of Jill and some of the dreamers that, yeah. that, that established that in those, in those times. But behind that, there, there had to be, like things had to be paid for. So like, wh where, what are some of the stories connected with our finances where God has said, brought you to the edge, said, put your foot in, and we don't know where the provision's coming from, and yet he came through? 
Yeah, yeah, he did. I, I don't even know where to start with that. It was like, it was story after story after story of the faithfulness of God. And it all started with a, it all started with a, a um, we, we, we did this little building fund. We put together a building fund and we were able to scrape up 12 grand. Now, 12 grand for half a million is not much. And we needed, we needed 50,000 for a down payment. We needed 10% of the money for a down payment. So we had 12 grand in the account. So I said to the guys, look, and some of the guys were saying, Phil, you know, I think it's a step too far. You know, it's a big jump. We're going from, we basically went from a living room till 900 square foot to 3,000 square foot. And now you're looking at 37,500 square foot. That's what we have here. So it was a massive leap, and some of the guys on our board, and even our elders and all, some of them were saying, guys, Phil, do you not think maybe it's a jump too far? And I said, well, look, we need 50 grand. If we get 50 grand on a special offering, that will, will, if we don't, I'll throw my hands up and say, got this wrong. And uh, it was the 7th of October, I'll never forget it, because it was our wedding anniversary, and uh, we were doing a special collection. And a couple of weeks before, I just happened to say to the church, we need a certain amount of money. I didn't tell them how much. I said, we need a certain amount of money um, and we need it for um, the 8th of October, Monday, the 8th of October. So we're going to do a special collection on the 7th of October. Paul Thompson was, many of you know Paul, but Paul had been here for some time and Paul was helping a little bit in the scene. And he said to me afterwards, he says, Phil, that was the worst appeal for money I've ever heard. He says, I could have done better myself. And... Um, so anyway, what has happened in the meantime, Wilson and Andrew Loney, who now owns the Hope Shop in uh, Union Street, had went out to Ukraine. Wilson, knowing we had 12 grand in our little building fund, we were sending containers out to Ukraine at the time, phones me from Ukraine and he says, Phil, the, the containers are coming out here, they're sitting, the stuff's just getting destroyed, we need to buy premises out here, and we've just looked at premises he says, we can buy this old airplane hangar for 20 grand. But he says, the problem is we need 10 grand or 12 grand up front. And he says, I was wondering, could we get the money out of the building fund? And he says, then when Andrew and I come home, we'll, we'll, we'll go around and see, can we get it gathered up again? And I said, no problem, take the money. So we emptied our account, we emptied it, and we sent it to Ukraine. The following Tuesday night, we were in a prayer meeting, and we were... We were in a circle and we were all on our knees and Andrew and Wilson were home and they were in that room. And while we were praying, the Lord spoke to me as forcibly as I've ever heard and said, you shouldn't have lent the money. And I said, oh, 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 I'm in trouble now. And, um, and so I had this sort of conversation with God and, and I felt God say, I want, you to, I want you to just give them the money. Don't lend them the money, give them the money. So there was an empty seat beside Andrew. So I crawled over on my knees and I went in beside Andrew and I said, Andrew, I shouldn't have lent you the money. <laughs> he automatically takes the wrong side of the coin. He thinks I'm looking the money back immediately. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going to get the money back. Now somebody's praying. This is very irreverent. Somebody was praying. And I said, no, 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 you're not hearing me. You need to take the money. I can't, I can't take the money back. And um, then I went back to my seat and thought, Oh, she should have told me elders that. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but the funny thing about that was, that was Tuesday night, all the elders, after I said, look, I need to talk to you a minute, tell you what I've done, and they all thought, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
the following Friday night, that was Tuesday, the following Friday night, I'm at tea. I'd just, I'd been working full time. I was sailing the sandbarge in Loch Ness at that time. And I'd just come home. We were at tea. Some of the girls come in and said, Dad, there's, some, there's a guy at the door looking at you. And um, this guy is standing at the door and he has a long, oblong envelope in his hand, sort of this shape here. And he said, don't know what this is about, but the Lord spoke to me on Wednesday and told me to give you this. And he turned to walk away. You know, and you know when somebody gives you something in an envelope, like you, <laughs> you know, you, you sort of can't wait till they get into the car. You know what I mean? Like it's like, you know, and, and, um, and he drives off. I rip this envelope open. There's a check for 12000 on it. And um, that was the start of it. That was the start of it. And on the 7th of October, we lifted 53000 we decided this was the place to go for. So. And this is how this place is home for all of us that have gathered in Orion. I just wanted to note one thing that you said before we move on to the, the, the thing. We were in the prayer meeting on our knees. Yeah. We're in the prayer meeting on our knees. Um, and I just think there's a significance for us in that mo- of what was happening in that moment yeah. for the faith that we need for this moment. We were in the prayer meeting and we were on our knees. Yeah. Um, is really, really, and uh, we're we're talking um, we're talking a lot about some of those key pivotal moments. And at the start, you've you've alluded actually that this the, the church was actually birthed out of a, a a place of pain and disappointment. You know, there was yeah. a, there was a, a moment in your life which was hard. But um, we then look and we look and we track along the journey, and there's been these significant highs that have happened. But they have been equaled with some of the lows yeah. and with deep pain, um, and which have also then required faith of, uh, steps of faith in that moment. Um, can you talk to us about some of those? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes when I'm telling this story, to out, out of house, I'd say that, you know, it felt like the first 10 years of Emmanuel that we couldn't do anything wrong. It just seemed to be up and up and up. And then there was like a five-year period it felt like we just couldn't do anything right. It just felt like pain and loss. And that started with um, my wife, Jill, obviously, that many of you knew died very suddenly. She died on the uh, 23rd of March, 2006. And she died of adult death syndrome, which is like cut death. So um, she died, literally, we were just, we were just getting into bed. And... Um, she was telling me about a prayer meeting. She was in Maureen's house, had a prayer meeting in Maureen's house. Uh, Roberta Jess and some other women were there, and she was telling me about a prophetic word. And this is what she told me. She says she was a bit stressed because she was running this big conference where 1,200 women actually came after she died to Armagh City Hotel. And she said, I'm just really stressed about it. But she says, Roberta, I think it was Roberta Jess, give me a, a word. And she says, Jill, I see you in God's hand like this here, and I see God's hand around you, and nothing's going to come near you. And she was telling me that story, and um, she breathed her last. And I was lying head in the headboard, and um, she uh, fell into my arms. I thought she'd been affectionate. And she fell into my arms, and she let three big sighs, like, (gasps) like that, three, and she was gone. And I remember phoning 999 and don't remember much more, really. 
But I remember ringing 999 and saying to the person, I think my wife's just died. And um, she was 48, I was 47. Girls, Philly were thrown into, was just thrown into a wobble. <laughs> it's hard even to put into any other words. And then it just seemed to notch on. Um, Lindsay Allen's wife, who was only 23, died of a brain tumor the year following. Then Garth, Robert and Joyce, son who'd been with us from Dead Daughter as well. Um, key figures with us. 28, brain tumor, and died. And then my dad died in 2007, my mum died in 2009. So it's five really significant people in my life that died within basically about a four year period, four to five year period. So it was, yeah, it's a blur really. Um, and the pain and loss of that was unbelievable. So, um, Thanks for sharing that, Phil. We, we appreciate that. And thanks for keeping going through that mm. and for keeping turning up in the times that it was hard because we are here because of that. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Mm. You've been great on taking risks on people. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and, and steps of faith on people. I'm realizing time is going, and, uh, but oh, what, what about some of those? And then we'll, we'll, we'll let you, yeah, you round this up. But what, what, about, what about some of the steps of faith on people and the, and the, the twists of that? And then you can, you can wrap all of this up. Um, I think, uh, see, can, see my computer there? There's a, there's a slide, there's a verse here where they get the little remote um, that I think sums that up. If you jump onto mine, Matt, if you would. Uh, three things that I felt the Lord speak to me in those early days was how to release, how to restrict, and how to receive were my three R's. How to release, how would I release a generation of leaders how could I restrict them? Um, there's a story out of Jonathan, which I'm not going to today. And then how could, I re how could I revive my soul in releasing the next generation? And this was the verse that the Lord spoke to me at that time. And it was out of Numbers 11. You know the story of, Je of, of Moses and Jethro. It's, um, it's uh, Exodus 18. And Jethro comes along to Moses and says, what you're doing is not good. You know, you need to everybody's queuing, they're getting frustrated because they're not getting seen to, you're getting worn out, you need to, need to get help, basically. It looks like he didn't do what Jethro told him, but Numbers 11, God turns up, <laughs> and it's always better when God turns up, and so this is what happened. Then God said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel, bring them to the tabernacle to stand with you. And he says, I will come down and talk to you there. And then he says, I will take some of the spirit that is on you and I will put it upon, that, that same spirit upon them. Now, I'll save you the bother of looking up commentaries because every commentary you look in that will say it's a similar spirit. God said to Moses, I'm going to take a similar spirit that's on you and I'm going to put it in them. And I'm going to argue with all those theologians. Now, I'm not a theologian, I'm just a boy with a Bible, but I love it. And, um, and I think what God said to me was, Phil, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to give some of it away. You're going to have to give it away. And so when he came to Moses, I think he actually took some of what was on Moses and distributed it among the people. 
And I felt that's what God was saying to me, that I would release a generation. And you know what Paul said to Timothy, there are many teachers, just not many fathers. And so there's something about releasing people in the spirit. We live in a day of a mental health crisis. And the reason there's a mental health crisis is there's so much knowledge. We live in a day and there's a thousand opinions at the touch of a button, Google, Safari, you can, you know, and there's courses upon courses. I even saw a course recently on what the right course is for you. So you can do a course to find out what the right course you should be doing. So there's so much head knowledge. There's so much, and Paul said this in Corinthians, Paul says that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I've loved the Bible my whole life. I've loved it. So this, 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 this fights with my head. But I think what we have, I think we have people who have loads of knowledge and their souls are shriveled up because the relationship with God isn't um, on a one-to-one. And then they, they, they know the word, but they don't know the writer. And there's a great wee story about Psalm 23 where this famous narrator got up to say Psalm 23 at this big event, and he did it with excellence and with prose. And then they asked this old minister who had ministered for 50 years, um, would he recite the psalm? And he got up to recite the psalm, and he stumbled over his words, and he wept his way through it. But by the time he had finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And um, somebody said to the, the first guy who read it at the end of the night, said, what happened there tonight? He says, well, here's what happened. He says, I know the psalm. He knew the writer. I knew the psalm. He knew the writer. And so, and there's something about knowing the author at the minute. So, um, I, uh, I think that entrusting, I came up with this little phrase years ago, entrusting leadership. And I've made some mistakes with it, you know, but uh, I do it all again, I think. I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just entrusting leadership to other people. It's brilliant. Um, Phil, like, um, not sure, but I, I want to get, get Robbie to pray for you, and I want you to pray for us. Is there anything else you want to land before we no, do that? No, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, the, like there's a great story. I had it in my notes, but I, I, don't, I haven't time to go into it. But I, 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 there's, something about, there's something about taking territory that's really important. Because, you know, when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, God told man to subdue the earth and conquer it. That's what it means. So there's, God designed us to conquer. Mm-hmm. Use businessmen and women in here. He designed you to do that. Designed you to make stuff. He designed you to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Nurses in here. He designed you to do that, to change lives. So there's always territory to take and something to conquer. And if we're not doing that, then I think our lives become empty and hollow. And so what happened, there's a great story in 1 Samuel 14 where Saul is hiding in a cave with his men and Jonathan's in that cave and Jonathan's just bored. He's bored. He's, his dad's as jealous as get out. Um, and what does Jonathan do? He climbs out of that cave at night when his dad doesn't know takes his armor bearer with him, climbs over two rock faces, you can read this in First Samuel 14, and scrambles up the hill on all fours just because he's bored. Mm. And his leader, father, wouldn't release him mm. into his call. Mm. And, uh, and that's how you restrict. Mm. <laughs> that's how you restrict. And so 
I think one of the things that I've loved is watching um, the Ricks and the Daves and the Al's and now the Robbies and the Ryans and the Taras, you know, and there's another generation. I keep telling Robbie now, he's not the young fellow now anymore either, you know, which is true, isn't it? There's always another generation that we're influencing. And so I've loved that. And I've, I think the joy is sometimes, the joy is sometimes when you're sitting in the congregation and you hear somebody say something and you know where they got it. Mm. <laughs> and I love that. So. Mm. Robbie, will you come pray for Phil? Then Phil is going to pray for us as we, we wrap up and realizing that we're way over time. But it's, it, was, it was worth it, yeah? Mm. Yeah? Yeah. Thank you. Why don't we all just stand as we um, close in prayer? Um, can, yeah, can we just give Phil another round of applause? Mm. What a guy. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, as we reflect on all that you've done, as we reflect on this story of, of Emmanuel, uh, firstly, God, we just want to say thank you, uh, God, for your faithfulness. Mm. We want to say thank you for your provision. God, none of this would be possible without you. And so we just thank you, God, for who you are and even as we hear some of these stories we again are just in awe of you and God we also just want to thank you for Phil just thank you God thank you for all that you've done in and through this man for the lives that have been changed and transformed for the leaders that have been raised up and released. Thank you for, God, all those people that came week after week after week and got saved through this man's faithfulness and just showing up and just keeping, keeping on saying yes. And we thank you, Phil, for taking risks on people like me, for giving us the opportunity to to step into all that God's been doing here. So we thank you, God, for Phil's ability to just uh, not hold on to this himself, but to invite people into the journey, into all that you're doing. And so, God, as we've looked back this morning, we're, we're, we're still so excited. We know that you are not finished yet, God. Mm, yeah. We know that you're not finished uh, with Phil, and we know that you're not finished with us as a family here, God. There's much that you have yet to do and that you want to do in this town of Lurgan and in the city of Craig Avon. And so we just pray for just a fresh anointing to come on Phil for this season that he enters into. Mm. We pray for fresh uh, giftings to be uh, put on him. 
and that in this season he would continue to say yes and continue to lead us forward into all that you have for us. God, we can't help but be inspired. We can't help but be just encouraged by hearing these stories, God, knowing that you are for us, that you are with us, and you're on this journey. Um, as we seek to, to, to see the story of, of, of Lurgan, Poor Down, Craig Alvin, rewritten, God, by the good news of your kingdom, Lord. And so we, are just, we just ask for more of you, God, and we just pray in this season that we would depend on you more than ever. Mm. It would be easy at this point to, to try and do it in our own strength. We've got great resources, great building, all of that. It would be easy to do it on our own and think that we could do it on our own. But God, we need you for this next phase of the, of the journey. Mm. We need you, God. So would you come and inspire us and fill us afresh this morning and send us out again in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Okay, yes, let's pray. Father, just thank you for these men. Lord, thank you for the generations that rise behind us. And God, we pray that they'll be better and bigger and greater and do mightier things. And uh, Lord, that they'll um, forge their own stories and their own risks and their own journey. Mm -hmm with you in an all-powerful way. So God, just thank you for this house. Lord, I have to say thank you just to my family. Thank you to Lisa and Amy and Debbie and Philly and just for going on the journey together and for um, all the sacrifices that they made. Lord, just thank you for them. So God, pray that you will, uh, yeah, as we look forward, um, we tell the story to encourage us to go forward. And Lord, for those of us who are a little older, may the Caleb rise in us, may the Caleb anointing to say, we ain't retiring, we ain't quitting, we're going to go to the end and we're going to throw our crown down at the feet of Jesus. And so God, uh, yeah, just help us to go again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys. Please run to get your kids to run and relieve our, our kids' workers. That would be amazing. Thank you.